Take your Bibles, God's holy and errant word, our only rule of faith and life. Turn with me to John chapter 9. Again, I want to welcome our guest. I'm preaching through the book of John in the mornings, Hosea in the evenings. We'll be looking at another large portion of Hosea tonight. Look forward to seeing you out again on this beautiful Lord's Day. We'll read the entire chapter. John chapter 9. Speaking of Jesus, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, Wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man's not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things or such signs? So there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, He was to be put out of the synagogue. 
Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So, for the second time, they came to the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? They reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him. It is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you see, now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Father, thank you for your word. We ask now that you would bless the reading, the hearing, and the preaching for our good and for your glory that we'd leave this place trusting Jesus, that we would be like this blind man, our eyes open. We would believe that you are the one sent from God and that we would worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I suspect some of you are like I. Every once in a while, I think about something. And that something is this. I wonder, wonder what it's like to be blind. Now, if you've ever had any kind of eye problems, that thought has flashed in your mind. Or perhaps you're just lying there in the pitch black of night. The power has gone off. 
and you don't see anything. Or maybe you've been camping on one of those dark, dark, dark nights and you're looking up at the sky and you can't see a thing. I realize some of you camp in cabins and in motorhomes. Well, that ain't. That's just not camping. If you've been misled to think so, sorry, it's not. But you're lying there and you can't see a thing. And you begin to think, wow, what would it be like to be like this always? I've often thought of that in reading the stories of Helen Keller. And then one of my favorite voices, it's not... It's not Pavarotti, but it's close, Andreas Bocelli. Bocelli was born with his sight, but then lost his sight. Remarkable tenor. Loved to hear him sing, and yet he's blind. Now, we could get more folky and talk about people like Ray Charles. Then I began to think, boy, if I were blind, would I just sit and sulk and be mad at God? Or would I, would I do like Helen Keller and Bocelli and Ray Charles and countless others? Would I, would I press on? Would I make something with the lemon that God has given me? I've prayed for strength to overcome such physical hindrances were I to lose my eyesight or my hearing. And I think of those kind of things. I think it's probably a good thing for everyone to ponder. I think, man, what if I couldn't read my books anymore? And then I think of people like Robert Louis Dabney who late in life, the last 10 years of his life, was blind. And he wrote three books in those last 10 years and preached countless sermons all over the countryside. And then there are other disabilities. When I was in seminary in Memphis, there was this, there was this minister out of Arkansas uh, Brad Isbell is familiar with him. Uh, he had a great physical handicap. He couldn't stand on his own. He couldn't walk. And they would, uh, his, his, his helper would take him up in the pulpit and he had braces on his legs and they would lock the braces in so that his knees couldn't buckle. And he couldn't look down because if he tilted his head down, he couldn't lift it back up. And so he memorized all the scripture. And he would preach these intricate, outlined sermons, just looking straight at the people. As long as he did this, he was fine. But he had his knees locked in. They had a brace on his back so his back wouldn't collapse. And he just knew to keep his head, his chin up, or else he would just have it on his chest for the rest of the sermon. And he would, read, he would quote the passages perfectly. And I used to just sit there in awe 
Well, this passage is about a man who is blind, physically blind. Not just spiritually blind, but physically blind. But John contrasts this physically blind man with a bunch of spiritually blind men. And he makes all sorts of points. And we don't have time for all those points, but we're going to look at some of them here today. I hope you do believe that it is worse to be spiritually blind than it is to be physically blind. Physically blind, you can go on and live a good, productive Helen Keller, Andre Bocelli, et al. life. But spiritually blind, you have no hope in this life or the life to come. I hope you believe that. First thing I want to see is that the Lord healed a blind man. That's very simple. First 12 verses. The Lord healed a blind man. He is bona fide blind. He says so. His parents said so. But most of all, it's important to know that the writer of Scripture says he was, and the Lord Jesus Christ treated him as he was. So the one who knows infallibly, the Lord Jesus Christ, says he was blind. Now, these men, his disciples, they ask a question as they see this man. They ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Oh, by the way, it's, it's important to keep in mind where this sits contextually in the book of John. John has just finished, and we saw last week, John has finished this lengthy, lengthy treatment of genuine faith. Right? Passage before, two weeks ago, some believed. They come to Jesus, and Jesus then takes them through this this detail of what genuine faith is. It's easy to have superficial faith. It's It's easy to say, oh, I believe in Jesus, but it has no change of your life. So Jesus goes into detail what genuine faith is. It's a persevering faith. Right? It's a faith that's informed by the Bible. And now, he's going to John, that is. John in chapter 9 is going to show us an example of a genuine faith versus a, a bunch of false faith. I say a bunch of false faith because it's, it's, it's in a number of these people. And particularly the Pharisees. If you had asked the Pharisees, do you believe in God? Well, of course they believed in God. They're Pharisees. They're Jews. They're God's people. Sure they believe. But when you contrast them to this man, and did you you notice that really good sermon the man preached to them later in the passage? And they said, you're a sinner. And you're going to preach to us? Get out of here. You're out of the synagogue. Well, we get to that in a moment. But first, the Lord healed a man, and he's going to show them what genuine faith is really like. But it starts with the healing. 
And these disciples who are there with Jesus, they want to know who sinned. Now, that's a legitimate question. Here's a man who's showing the effects of the fall, right? Blindness is the effects of the fall. How can I say that? Well, because we know that before the fall, there would have been no blindness. There would have been nothing because death didn't exist. And those things that that are part of death and look like death and smell like death wouldn't have existed. And so it wasn't a totally out of place question, except in this time, in this place, it was. They sound more like Job's friends than they do like good theologians. They make an overgeneralization, in other words. We know that He's blind. Blindness is caused by sin. Therefore, he must be a sinner. He must have done something horrible that one-on-one led to his blindness. And Jesus said, no. It's a bit like in the book of Joshua When the Lord appears pre-incarnate to Joshua and Joshua says, are you for me or against me? And the Lord said, no. He does it again right here. Incarnate this time, but he does it again. Who sinned, this man or his parents? And he says, this is not about sin. While we do believe that death and all bodily aches and pains leading up to our death came into the world because of Adam's sin, we do not believe there is a mechanical one-for-one causal effect for sin. You all know people who have done things that sinned. They sinned and it led immediately to a bad effect. And there you can sit. Well, if you hadn't sinned, you wouldn't be that way. If you hadn't done that, God says don't do that. And you did it and now you're like this. We all know people like that. But then we also all know people who do all sorts of things that should produce bad effects. And it doesn't produce bad effects in their bodies. Jesus says, in this particular case, this man is not blind because of his parents' sins or because of his sin. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then he goes into this little statement about, this is what I'm here for. I came to do. I came to, I, I came to do my father's pleasure. I came to seek and to save that which is lost. I came to heal those who are in need of healing. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He goes back to that light motif that we picked up on earlier in John. I'm the light of the world. 
That's particularly appropriate here, isn't it? Because this man's blind. He can't see any light. So Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, and I can even shine in the, in the life of a blind man who can't see light. And he says, having said these things, he spat on the ground, he made mud with the saliva, and he anointed the man's eyes. God, the Son, could have glorified himself in this man by simply helping him use his disability better. He could have. Well, I mean, we do believe that, right? That a blind man can live a useful life and not be a beggar on the street. That's what he was doing. He was begging on the street. But we also know the Andre Bocelli stories and the Helen Keller stories, like I started out with. He could have just saved him and said, man, all you need is my grace. My grace is sufficient. Just like he told Paul. My grace is sufficient. Get up. Quit begging. There's a whole synagogue here of people who want to help you get on with life and will take, come alongside you and help you and you can live above this blindness because my grace is sufficient. That would have been true. But in this case, Jesus decides to do something else. And so he gives him sight. But notice how he gives him sight. He takes some dirt and he mixes it with his spit and he puts it on his eyes and he says, go to the pool and wash this mud off your eyes. Why didn't he just say, you go, you can see. He did that in other occasions, didn't he? Go back to chapter 5. We've already seen the man at the, at the pool at Bethesda who had been sitting there hoping to get into this pool that they thought had some, some healing qualities to it. And the man was so crippled he couldn't get into the pool. And Jesus just said, get up and walk. Two different approaches that the Lord takes. One is he spoke and it happened. In this case, he uses second causes. He uses means. We believe God does things like that. We confess that in our confession of faith. Chapter of Providence. We believe that God can use second causes. You all... If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're all here today because of second means, second causes. You say, huh? Yeah, because God used someone to tell you the gospel. God used someone to invite you to come here today. God used the sign down on the road for you to notice that there was a church down there and to drive up here. God can do that. 
he's just as in control of all the surroundings as he, as he is in just speaking. Sometimes he chooses just to speak and to do it. He gets frustrated with us not obeying him, so he just does it himself. That was a joke. Although, I wonder. So he uses second causes. And still the same effect. But notice something here. He's also, he's also doing something else besides, besides giving this, this man eyes to see. Notice what we read in verses 8 and following. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said it is. Others said no, but he is like him. God does great things for people to confront unbelief. These people start debating among themselves what has happened here. They get him to tell the story. Did you notice some irritation in this man, by the way, by the time the Pharisees ask him the third time, tell us the story again. He says, I'm not telling that story again. You've heard it. You didn't believe it the first time. Not going to tell you again. The first time he's very, very patient. And he tells his neighbors. God does things for people to confront our unbelief. That's something to keep in mind, isn't it? When we see God working in someone's life, our tendency is sometimes to say, I wonder, I wonder if this is going to last. When instead we should say, do I really believe God does stuff like this? Yes, I do. And then start praying for that person instead of doubting God. So he does it. These people start asking questions, and that was part of God's design in this. Now, let's look at the second thing I want to see, and that's some lessons that we draw from, from the blind men. Now, I'm not talking about the blind man who's received his sight. I'm talking about the blind men who are still walking around. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees. These neighbors are the they here. The neighbors apparently are, are rather concerned and we don't know why they brought him to the Pharisees. May have been because it happened on the Sabbath and they thought, oh, we'll get some, we'll get some points with the Pharisees. We'll turn Jesus in again for doing something on, on the Sabbath. We're not sure exactly what their motives were, but they bring to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. It was Sabbath day when Jesus, that's, that's the point here. It was Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. The Pharisees again asked him how he'd received his sight. He told them. Some of the Pharisees said, this man's not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath, talking about Jesus. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? We've seen this already, haven't we? We've seen this confusion. We've seen the debating that's going on between the people. Some people just dismiss Jesus altogether. And other people, no, wait a minute. 
maybe maybe there's more to this than than you're saying there is. How can a man who's a sinner do such signs? There was division. So they said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened his eyes, opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. Now that's, that's the first, that's the first point here. This guy has figured out this is no mere man. This is no, this is not your average Joe walking around. They were looking for a prophet. Remember, Moses said, there's going to be one greater than I come. And this, this fellow has already started thinking, this is, this is, now remember, he's not, he's not believing. He's still wondering who Jesus is, but he's at least a great prophet. Folks, let me stop right there. That's not saving faith. This is building on chapter 8. This whole sequence of events is building on the superficial faith versus a genuine faith. And how dangerous it is to live with a superficial faith and say you're a Christian when there's no change in your life. And then the genuine faith, which is a changed life. This man's right now in that he's had something really great done for him. This can't just be an average person in Jesus, but he doesn't know really what he's to believe of him altogether, that's going to come when Jesus initiates the contact and, and comes to him again in verses 35 and following. But here's the first lesson I want us to see as these men are starting to debate and question. The Jews were concerned for procedure rather than mercy. The Jews were concerned for procedure rather than mercy. This whole Sabbath thing. This came up back in chapter 5 with the healing of the man at Bethesda or Bethsaida. And they, they said, but, but you're doing it on the Sabbath. And Jesus had to dispel, no, I'm not breaking the Sabbath. This is what the Sabbath was made for. It was made for worshiping God. It was, doing, it was, it was made for deeds of mercy and necessity. It's for me to do good. I'm here to seek and to save. I'm here to seek and to save the whole man, not just parts of man. And part of what needed to be saved in this man was his eyesight. But how easy it is for us to get caught up in procedures. You say, well, I wonder what, how they linked him healing with violating their Sabbath. It's because they had a bunch of these extra laws, Remember? If you don't know that, it's good for you to know that. The, the, the Pharisees, the Jews overall, but the Pharisees particularly in applying them, they built up this whole long list of extra laws extrapolated from the original law giving that God gave. But what happened was they moved away from the original law into all these laws, which weren't God's laws. They were man's laws. And one of the laws that they had come up with was that you can't knead dough on the Sabbath. You need to do that ahead of time and have your dough right and cooked and ready to eat on the Sabbath. You can't do that work on the Sabbath. So somehow they connected dots between kneading of dough and kneading the spittle and the dirt together. Jesus had to make those motions, and that was forbidden. That's what 
the best that scholars can come up with here because otherwise there's no no violation of the Sabbath that took place. They were concerned about their procedures and they didn't kept they didn't care about this blind man. That's the first lesson we need to learn is do we get so wrapped up in our procedures that we don't care? We have this conversation in session meetings occasionally. Uh, sadly, if you go visit on the board, there's the latest session summary. And in that summary, you'll find that we've had some of our dear friends move on to other parts of the country, down to Florida, out to Texas, and beyond and they've moved their membership like good people do godly people do that how they get settled in another good church but also there's an item on that summary of the sessions uh, work at the last session meeting where we had to announce the discipline the virtual excommunication of a number of individuals who have failed to keep their vows and sinned against God and us Now, we have all the procedures in our book of church order. And I'm going to tell you, one of the procedures that's set out is that, look, if a person has said or they just will not keep their vows in one year, they are to be erased or excommunicated from the church. But there is no one on that list out there that we dealt with at the one-year mark. You say, I don't understand the point. The point is, your elders showed mercy. We, we, we didn't just keep the procedure. In fact, almost everyone on that list, the, the elders have been working with, trying to, trying to pray with, trying to meet with, trying to, trying to call to repentance for more than two years, in some cases, three or four years. Because we believe mercy is more important than procedures. And while we believe the book of church order is good in giving us that guideline, it doesn't command us, on, thou shalt on the 365th day do this. And so we believe like our Lord Jesus Christ, that we show mercy. And in showing mercy, we pray that the Lord will use this action to bring them back to faith, to bring them back to repentance, to bring them back to salvation in Christ Jesus. These Pharisees knew nothing of that. It was all about procedure. Let's just jots and tittles, and they come at Jesus and aren't you glad Jesus doesn't care? That he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that includes each of us here this morning. That's the first lesson. Second lesson. Human opinion leads to denial of God as revealed in the scripture. Look at verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, this man's not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. Human opinion. 
They're debating among themselves. And both of them denied the scriptures. I hope y'all pray for your elders and your deacons regularly. I hope you pray for your elders never, ever to succumb to human opinion, but always examine what they're doing and what they've done in the light of Holy Scripture. Because, folks, if we don't do what Scripture commands us to do, then we're not doing what's best for you, what's best for us, what's best for Christ. Human opinion. We see this all the way through the book of John. These, these people, well, I wonder about this. Well, I wonder. And, and, and Jesus just keeps bringing them back to the Scripture, doesn't he? Always. Third lesson. Human opinion leads people to limit God rather than recognize God. That's what's in those 24 through 34. The second time they called the man who had been blind and said, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Where, is he, where he is a sinner I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind now I see. They said, What did he do to you? He says, I'm not telling you again. They reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man continues again. The whole point here is that they say they're from Moses and they don't recognize the greater Moses. They say they, they read Moses' law and they don't understand that Jesus is keeping the law. We can, we, can have, we can have our own little system and God doesn't fit in it. That's the point. And that's what had happened to these Pharisees, these religious leaders. Folks, these are the people... Just like those shepherds back in Ezekiel chapter 34 and praise God. How does God end that section? I'm going to take them out of the way so they don't, they don't mess up the sheep's lives and I'm going to do it myself. Now if we'd gone on and read verses 11 and following in Ezekiel 34, we would have read those very words. I myself will come and be the shepherd and guess who's here? I myself, the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ, and he's doing the shepherding that these Pharisees are not doing. He's caring for the people in a way that they wouldn't and couldn't care for the people. <coughs> Point three, very quickly, the Lord hastens to the blind man. Did you notice that? They've cast him out of the synagogue. Something his parents, by the way, with a superficial faith, didn't want to subject themselves to. And you can see this man's faith growing. God is growing it in little increments here. And he's going to, and now they've kicked him out of the synagogue. And Jesus heard they'd cast him out. Having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He said, who is he, sir? He said, I am. He said, I do. But that, aren't you glad that Jesus always takes the initiative? 
you understand that if you and I, just like God in the, in the cool of the day in the garden, Adam and Eve sinned. And what's the next thing we read after Adam and Eve sinned? They were fearful. They were ashamed. They hid themselves. And what happens immediately? God came to them. And what does he do? He calls them out to himself. And he gives them the hope of the promise of the one who would crush the head of the serpent. Do you understand that if the Lord doesn't come to you, you won't go to him? If you don't understand that, you don't understand much about sin. Sin alienates us to God. Sin causes us to be enemies of God, and enemies don't go and visit one another. But God visits enemies because he's above it all. He goes and he seeks out his people. He seeks them and saves them. And that's what he does right here. And Jesus says, For judgment I came to this world that those who do not see my... Who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. You say, wait a minute. I know we've talked about this because back in John chapter 3, Jesus said, I didn't come to judge, but I came to save. And I remember you said something about this verse, but I don't remember what it was. What was it? What I said was, Jesus came to seek and save. His primary purpose was not to judge, but here's the thing. He's the son of man. The son of man is one of the meanings of the son of man. Just as we saw <coughs> Ezekiel's referred to as the son of man, prototypical of Jesus Christ. And what was, what was Ezekiel called to do in that case? To pronounce a judgment on the, on the shepherds. And here Jesus has pronounced a judgment on the shepherds. But you know what? He didn't have to pronounce it. They did it to themselves. The presence of the all-holy one brought judgment upon them. That's the reason your, un, your, your, your godless friends don't like to be around you. And they don't want to come to church with you. Is because it, it, it makes them feel bad. It makes them feel judged. For their sin. And there's where we have to just. Brothers and sisters. We have to just remind them over and over. Hey if it were not for the grace of God. I'd be just like you. The only thing that makes the difference. Between me and you is Jesus Christ. And he loves sinners. And the Pharisees say. So you're saying we're blind. And Jesus said yes. You're spiritually blind. So let me ask you, which is worse? To be physically blind or spiritually blind? Now, who can Jesus heal from blindness? The, the physically blind or the spiritually blind? Yes. Because Jesus saves us in our totality. And he can save us from whatever our need is, whether it's spiritual or physical. He meets our needs. One more thing I want you to notice in the Lord hastening here. Did you notice that? Jesus said to this man, you have seen him. It's he who is speaking. 
The man said, Lord, I believe. And then what does it say? Look at your Bibles. That's why you ought to keep them open, follow along. What does it say? And he worshiped him. That's for you lazy folks who didn't have your Bibles. He worshiped him. That's what genuine faith always produces. Worship. So the question is, if you've been delivered from spiritual blindness, are you worshiping God? The light of the world is the need of a spiritually dark world. Let's, let's shine that light. We're, we're told we're reflectors of the light in this world. We're called to be reflectors. Jesus said, for while I'm here, I'm here to do this. And by the way, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, and he has sent us out to do even, even more of that light shining. That's a remarkable thought, isn't it? That we get to reflect the glory of God. We get to reflect the light of the world to people who are blind in their sins. Let's be faithful to do that this week. Father, thank you that you didn't leave us in darkness but you sent us the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May we, like this blind man, have eyes to see Jesus this day. And may we believe in his name. Amen.